This episode of the Student Housing Insight Podcast is sponsored by LEAP. So have you ever had that student prospect that, I don't know, maybe they are a part-time student and holding down a full-time job because they're working their own way through school? Or maybe it's a student whose parents are not in the picture for some reason. Or, or maybe it's an international student who doesn't have a sponsor or a family member that is stateside. What's the common element between those three types of prospects? They don't have someone that can be a guarantor. This is where LEAP can step in and provide their institutional rent guarantee product. LEAP essentially becomes that prospect's rich uncle, for lack of a better word, that they never knew and who was willing to step in and co-sign. And as the property manager, you've got the peace of mind that if the resident defaults in the middle of their lease term, your exposure to lost rental revenue is eliminated. Heck, even if the student doesn't move in, <laughs> have you ever had that happen? I've certainly had that happen. LEAP will still guarantee up to three months rent for that student. If you are turning away students because they don't have a qualified guarantor, contact LEAP today. You can find all their information in the show notes or look them up at www. Does anybody say www anymore? Look them up at leapeasy.com. Welcome to the Student Housing Insight Podcast, where we are putting you in touch with the people who bring student housing to life. I'm your host, Wesley Dees, and joining me today is co-host, Dr. Phil Betazuski. How's it going, Dr. B? Good, Wes. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. It's it's fall. Um, <laughs> it's getting very close to Thanksgiving. It is. I, it's football in full effect. We have experienced winter here already, so it, fall has passed in Buffalo, New York. Yeah, yeah, I'm, uh, uh, I'm, uh, yeah, not envious by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> if you ever want to shovel some snow, just swing on through. <laughs> speaking, speaking of depression, uh, <laughs> we're, we're just off the hills of, of our first webinar with Grace Hill, which we did a couple weeks ago on mental health. And I just want to thank you again for, for taking the time out to, to do that. It was a follow up to your, your last podcast uh, with uh, Dr. Dewar from University of Washington in St. Louis. And it was... Uh, it was just fantastic. I went back and, and listened to the podcast again, and then also um, in preparing for this episode, which is called Bridges and Fences. It was, uh, it, it was very timely. I got, a lot, I got a lot of good feedback from folks that listened to the podcast as well as attended that webinar. And big thanks to just the, our, our audience for attending. I think we had a total of 135 that had registered and we had just under 70 that were present and they were present the entire time. So that was, uh, even though it was only half of who registered, I think by other standards, Grace Hill was, was perfectly happy with, with uh, who all showed up. So thank you for everybody that did that. And I hope you got a lot out of it. Certainly based on everybody's feedback, it sounds like uh, it, it was certainly helpful to to many people and their and their teams. So thanks for that feedback. We love getting that. 
But hey, we've got something from one of our recent summits, uh, the one that you were attending at our actually out in Waco, Texas, our Southwest Summit that was back in September. And we'll get into a little bit more of <laughs> of um, why it's called bridges and, and fences. You'll you'll hear that kind of in my introduction, but. Uh, just, uh, you know, really quick, one of the reasons I asked you to come on to this podcast, Dr. B, is because I, I see this podcast and see see Student Housing Insight as, as really being a bridge in a lot of ways between off-campus uh, property managers and, and on-campus administrators, certainly housing administrators and student services. But just a couple of your, your takeaways just from a general standpoint of, uh, of this particular panel that, yeah, that you were it, on. It was a great opportunity to come to Waco, eat some Southern food, um, visit Chip and Joanna. But really, I, th- I think about the, the housing folks, the on-campus housing folks have a KUOI, which is our national association, the Association of College and University Housing Officers International. We love an acronym and we love wordy association titles. <laughs> but, but there isn't really a comparable group for our partners off campus uh, and and not that they wouldn't be welcome at a Kuhoai and and wouldn't get something out of going to a Kuhoai, but it it probably isn't as as useful across the board as the summit was or as the summits are, and so having the opportunity to be there and share some thoughts and uh, no pun intended insights into what the the world of on campus housing is like and how we can work together with our partners off campus, I think was it was valuable for me as a panelist and based on the folks that were there and the questions they were asking and some of the conversations we had, um, it was something that they appreciated and, and got something out of as well. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed the questions. Of course, everybody will get to listen to, to those questions here, but they were really sincere questions on, Hey, how can, you know, how can I be a, a more of an asset and develop a relationship with, with my university and, and I appreciate everybody having that attitude because sometimes <laughs> <laughs> you kind of, you kind of wonder what team everybody is on. And, and I think we're, I think we're all playing for the same team, which is, you know, delivering, you know, a great product, be it either education or housing to the students. And, um, uh, yeah, I, I don't think there's that much that actually separates, you know, providing off-campus housing versus on-campus housing when it really comes down to it. And there's so many things that we can do to really make it a great relationship. So in addition to having yourself on, on this panel, we also had Mike Port uh, with Scion. He, he's over their international advisory services. He's worked on campus and now he's you know kind of leading up advisory services for for Scion as it comes to uh, establishing P3 partnerships and helping universities through their uh, through whatever type of housing dilemmas they may be looking at and then we also had the the local guy because <laughs> because Mike is actually based out of Canada and so it was kind of cool having that international flavor there also someone a little bit more local <laughs> which was Craig Allen who's the uh, director of housing and Dining as well, which uh, at some point in time, we've got to have an episode of how dining and housing kind of <laughs> flows together because that's a 
that's a typical combination that we see with with on campus housing and, and dining services. But you know, he, he had a lot of uh, a lot of insight that was specific to, to Fort Worth and a lot of the other colleges and in Texas that obviously uh, I think a lot of people took away uh, from that because this was the, the Southwest Conference. But why don't we just go ahead and, and push play and we'll have some takeaways on the other side. So our next session I've titled Bridges or Fences, What is Between You and Campus? And this picture up here, I want to tell, speaking of stories, I want to tell a little bit of a, of a story. How many of you guys are actually right next to campus? One, two, three. Pedestrian, maybe not right next to you, but pretty close. Anybody else? Okay. So, you know, it's amazing how, how close student housing, how, how close in proximity, especially within the past five years, we're getting closer and closer back to campus. But just because we're close to campus doesn't necessarily mean that we're close to the university. And I think one thing that I've, or I know one thing that I've heard so much from site managers since I've been doing the podcast is, hey, how do I get, how do I get a better relationship with my university? And so that's what this, this next panel is about. And I want to explain a little bit about these two pictures that are up here. This is actually at the same location at Coastal Carolina University in South Carolina, close to, to uh, Myrtle Beach. And the picture on the left, I took back in 2011. I was scouting for a company called Walk to Campus. They were wanting to, to grow. They had done mostly single-family homes that they bought within the first... Um, how, many, how many of you guys have, like, neighborhoods around your campuses where there's a lot of single-family homes? How many of those are, are pretty beat-up third, fourth generation, they just rent them out to students because they'll rent them and they're dirt cheap and they look like crap. Well, Walt the Campus done, had done something really cool, which is they played their own fixer-upper and began a business strategy of buying those homes and fixing them up. And the universities that they were at just applauded them for it because they brought in you know, a consistent branding and marketing. They worked with the university on you know, making sure that they knew that they could come to them if there was any problems at those certain addresses. And back in 2011, they were in a good situation with cash where they were able to go out and do some expansion, not just do single-family homes, but do you know 200-bed, 300-bed communities. And so they hired me to, to come in and, and help find some of that stuff. And so I went to this property right next to campus. And as you could See there on the left, I know the lighting's a little bad, but there's a fence there, and right on the other side of that brush is literally a dorm room. And I'm standing on off-campus property where I'm taking that picture. I went to these, I went to these guys and said, look, I found a perfect property. They're called Walt to Campus, so as you can imagine, one of their requirements is that you can Walt to Campus. And we started going through these pictures, and they said, yeah, but you can't get, like, You'd have to look at it on a map. You'd literally have to walk a mile to actually get on the campus, even though it's right there. And I said, guys, I think you guys have done a good enough job at the universities that you're at. It may take a little bit of time, but I think you, could, I think you can create a relationship with this administration and do something really cool. Now, not only was there an apartment complex, but there was a group of duplexes that were just hideous 
and it become a real issue, which is one of the reasons that fence was put up. A year later, about 18 months later, this picture on the right was taken um, after they purchased the property. And they came in and, and told the university that, you know, who they were, what they wanted to do. They had chancellors from the other universities that they were at write recommendations. And after about a year of operation, the university said, yeah, let's pull the fence down and give these guys a, a pedestrian and a bike access to campus. And so that's what that bridge is over there. So it's just a true testament that this can be done. And we've got a few folks that can talk a little bit more to it, much better than I can. But I want to um, introduce Joanne Orell with Unilodgers. Um, she's our moderator for, for this panel. So give it up for Joanne. <laughs> Stairs on this side, guys, by the way. <laughs> All right. I'll get used to that for a second. Um, so excited to uh, be moderating this panel today. You guys have a, a wealth of wisdom here and a lot of years of experience and a lot of different perspectives. So this will be fun. We've got, you know, three short questions that we're going to go through. Well, not short, but and uh, hopefully get a little bit of response from everyone. We've got immediately to my right, Craig Allen with TCU. And Craig, tell us your or, Position, or either way. Yes. All right. I'm the executive director for housing and dining. Okay, awesome. And then right next to you, we've got Dr. B. Hey, everyone. I'm assistant dean of residence life at Buffalo State College in Buffalo, New York. It's cooler. <laughs> Much. And immediately, we've got Mike Porritt with uh, the Scion Group. Did I say that right? You did. Awesome. Yeah, hi, folks. I'm Mike Port. I'm the VP International with Scion Advisory. And not too many moons ago, I was executive director for housing at McGill University in Montreal. All right. So we are going to kick it off. And our first question is, how do universities determine how much housing they will provide on, on campus? Or maybe a better question is, why don't universities house 100% of their enrollment? And uh, we're going to kick this off to Phil, Dr. B. So it's sort of intentional. Um, there's a couple of reasons why we don't necessarily house every, everyone. One, and we can start with the dollars, is we can't afford it. It would be expensive for us to be able to house all of our students. On top of that, we also don't often have enough space. So in, I, I used to work at Ohio State University. They now are housing f around 14,000 students um, in total across all of their campuses, but they enroll more than 60. So there's no land to house 60,000 students at Ohio State University. At Buff State, we have about just, just under 10,000 students on campus. We don't even have enough space to house 10,000, like physical land. We would not have enough space to have classes and those students. The other thing is it allows us to be really targeted with the things that we think are most important for students when they do live on campus. So we know that that first year and the second year in particular are the really the most developmental for traditionally aged college students. And so when we market our housing on campus, we're often thinking about those first time in college students at 18 years old. And so we're dedicating those beds and the, the programming and the services that we're providing to helping them best transition. And then hoping that what we provide allows them to transition to an off-campus space as they think about what it is like to live in the, quote, real world after they graduate. 
comments? You guys want to, anyone want to add anything? Dr. B nailed it. Great. He nailed it. Look at that. And I'm, I'm never brief either. That was fantastic. Um, so second question, um, as off-campus PBSH, which stands for Purpose-Built Student Housing, that comes up, has grown to try and meet the needs of universities and their surrounding neighborhoods, what have been the benefits and challenges that have been presented to the, the universities with this, you know, research, surgence and outgrowth of off-campus, and how do, you, how do you deal with that? Mike, you want to start with that one? Sure. Um, having the, the purpose-built stuff come to cities for a lot of campuses has been a great thing um, because there are a lot of cities where after the after first year of housing and you get out of the, the traditional style residences, it's slumlord city trying to find a place, um, absentee landlords, houses falling apart, the city doesn't like that, the campus doesn't like that, uh, the neighbors that still have family houses don't like it. So the purpose-built stuff coming in, in a lot of ways, was a good thing because um, it put a lot of pressure on the landlords that weren't very good. Um, it gave a chance for more community for the students um, and in some ways revitalized neighborhoods around the campuses. So that was a good thing. Um, it, it can get a little too crazy sometimes. Uh, there have been times, um, if anyone ever wants to come up to Canada and see Probably the best example I know of is Waterloo, Ontario, is the city had a great idea of saying, hey, let's take a few of these blocks near the campus where all these houses are run down, let's give permissions for people to build off-campus housing and do it on purpose. And then what started out as a great idea, every time they expanded another block to the idea, it became less and less of a great idea. Uh, and now that city is overdeveloped by probably 7,200 students. Um, and it'll take 15 years for the campus, for the two universities there to catch up to the amount of beds that were allowed to be built off campus, and people are still building them. Um, so they're just cannibalizing their own market. So that's kind of the, the bad end when it gets overdeveloped and overcompetitive. Um, but when, it's, when there's lots of collaboration between the city and the campus and the off-campus groups and they're talking to each other, it can be a really fantastic uh, way to provide good quality housing for the students throughout their whole career and make it work in a way that also helps the city. Craig, Phil, you want to add anything to that from the university side? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're cranking through these. I have to make some up. <laughs> What's keeping university administrators up at night as it relates to their students who live off campus? I know these people out here are always trying to do a lot of things to, um, you know, pull in to the, to the community, What's, uh, what's not working or working? I think a lot of things are working, and I would echo uh, Mike's comments that around where I am, for example, TCU, the, the neighborhoods have been greatly redeveloped by some of the um, purpose-built student housing that, that's come into there. I think the things that, that you know, uh, Dr. B and I often spend a lot of time in meetings, and when there's bad things that go on, those are the things that keep us up at night, and particularly student, health, student mental health, student safety. Those are the things that we have to spend a lot of time worrying about and thinking about. And when it comes to off-campus, we, we have very little control. And so I think that, uh, and yet, especially because so many of these properties are so close to campus, that in the minds of students and parents, 
they expect the university to know what's going on. They expect that if there's a robbery in a neighborhood that they want to know that we somehow are involved in, in problem solving. And so it can keep a housing person up at night because I can't control what's happening at all these different properties. Um, and, and I know that on our campus, for example, the amount of training and the staff response and the ratios that we have of people who are in our buildings and paying attention to student mental health and other safety things is often at a different level than you all um, are designed to do or able to do. And so on our campus, for example, we've had students who have completed a suicide in, in the last number of years, some, unfortunately, uh, almost every year and they never happen on campus. And, and I think we are fortunate because we can intervene and often stop those things, but off campus we lose track of those students who might really need help, but we don't know about them. They're able to isolate themselves in a place um, where university personnel are not. Um, and so that, that makes me, gives me pause and, and makes me wonder what can we do better. Um, I, I think to the point that some have shared earlier, uh, what we have found to be very effective is that we also visit the properties near us and we want to know that uh, those uh, leasing managers and apartment you know, managers, if you notice something off about a student, we want information. And um, some of the properties that have been most successful have been those that have really taken time to develop a relationship with us um, so that if they notice student concerns, they can share them with us and let us intervene. Can you give us any examples? I'm just going to, this, just kind of making this one up, but where you've had really good programs or bridges from an off-campus partner where you're like, yeah, that really worked and we, we felt really connected. I mean, I'm opening that up to, to any of you. Just um, yeah, could, I was, could go to the other side yeah, of it. I'll yeah, I'll start. I mean, we're in, like many of the areas that were shared at the very beginning, you know, where enrollment growth has happened and, and universities couldn't keep up, we see a lot of, 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 of uh, private student housing. And in our area, those that have been very successful have been the ones that have tried to develop a partnership or at least a relationship with us from the beginning. And I think some of the things that we've seen that are successful is um, when those properties take care to come and talk with us about how is best for us to market to your students, what needs do you have, um, and really try to be a partner versus a competitor. Now, I, I understand there's going to be competition, but, um, but being a partner is a great way to get your foot in the door. And, and we have, for example, um, off-campus housing fairs where we host private companies on our campus and those have been great events for us and, and the companies that have been very respectful about doing that and, and talking with us um, are the ones that have been most successful in meeting, I think, uh, student needs. So that's, that's one example of, of, a, of a partnership that we have. And then I, I, I'll tack on is um, being willing to admit when something is wrong. So we have a, um, we have a property that's, I mean, literally from, from me to the end of this first table is on campus to off campus. Um, and we had an issue this summer where one of their newly hired student employees came onto campus and chalked a message about the property on the wall of the student union, which is, is not allowed for anyone, including student groups. Like, you're, you're not allowed to chalk on the wall of the building. Um, and so 
we took a picture, sent it over to them, and immediately they apologized. I mean, up the chain of people at the um, at the off-campus property of like, you know, we, we understand that this is not allowed. This was a brand new employee. We are going to take care of this. So knowing that, like, that helps to build trust, too, because we know that those those things happen, right? You can't control every employee 100% of the time. Um, and so you, starting from the front end, but then also realizing that as something comes up, being willing to own it in much the same way as if it had been the other way around and we were suddenly like chalking on the side of their building and saying, no, you should leave across the street. Um, and that wouldn't be allowed either. And it would be my responsibility to own that too. Yeah, I can give you a couple of examples, one in a good way and one in a not so good way. Um, we've had a lot of groups, uh, especially in Montreal, but also in some other places I've worked with. Um, and then Scion has a lot of these properties at different campuses in the States where these have, have happened, where the off-campus property is, is making intentional connections with the campus and inviting the campus to come and use some of their spaces. Because a lot of your buildings will have clubhouses or that kind of, some kind of open theater kind of style. And a lot of the campuses want to find ways to connect with second, third, and fourth year students in a place where they all are. And a lot of the campuses, the place where they all are in one shot is in your buildings. And so we would offer to, you know, you know, hey, can we use your space? Or the, the buildings would come to us and say, you know, we would love to have connections with the campus and then share some space that way and have the campus come to the building and actually do some programs and events focused on the age group that was there. But it can also go the other way. And this is something to be always be careful about when, when you're trying to recruit and everything else to try to keep your buildings full is keep in mind the impression you give to the campus. Um, in Montreal, we had a group that started advertising themselves on Facebook and Twitter and every other kind of thing as McGill Student Housing, which they clearly are not McGill Student Housing because that's the campus. And for those of you that don't know what McGill is, uh, like McGill, University of Toronto, University of British Columbia, those are like top 40 in the world schools. So they take the brand McGill serious as a heart attack. So myself and the chief legal counsel for, the, for McGill University sent a letter and hand-delivered it to the gentleman who was promoting himself as McGill University Housing. And we had a discussion over our, our lack of happiness with his using the brand of McGill to sell his property. And that stopped, so that was good. And he also wasn't doing the greatest job of... It had a bad reputation as a very much a party place and kind of a... Uh, not so great marketing strategies and things like that. Um, doing a lot of their marketing at the club scenes instead of like at campus fairs and things like that. So that wasn't the greatest reputation and connection to make to the school. And then the thing where you get long-term benefits about positive connections to the school is every once in a while the school will need space. So we had multiple years at McGill where we made master leases for multiple floors and one year even an entire building off campus because we knew we were going to be overflowed with first-year students. Guess who didn't get a call? Um, but those other buildings in, on campus that we'd had good relationships, they were one of the first ones we called to say, hey, how much space can you give us? Can we basically set up some McGill housing floors for first-years? We'll put it in our array. We'll do master lease. I tell you, it's a lot easier to fill your building if the university just leases five, five of your floors. Um, and so that really helps at your end, too. So those positive relationships can often have... Lots of good things in the, in the meantime, um, but when the university has a need, you're also going to end up being the first person that gets called. Any other examples? We kind of um, bled a little bit over into the last question, but uh, that, that you can give these guys as takeaways as far as what kind of things help build a positive um, 
relationship with the university administrators and your, your off-campus partners or building that partnership? Bill? Craig? I think for me uh, and colleagues of mine, I'll, I'll, too bad I'm not doing this in a couple of weeks because we have our Big 12 housing meeting. I could have given you what all of them are saying. But knowing colleagues... We'll take notes afterwards. We'll take notes afterwards. Um, knowing my colleagues, I think we appreciate uh, honesty and transparency, the core values you heard about in, in the Waco Tours company. As you all have that and can exhibit that, we, we're readily willing to share information because if our students are living with you all, we care a great deal about our students. And, and we know that if they have a bad experience, even living with you... Off, we, we lose them, right? And so the more that we will ask, uh, so if you can be open about information and sharing information with us, I think that's helpful. Uh, like I said, we, we make a point to visit. There are a number of properties that have come up around our campus. I go with some of my central office staff at least once a year. They go sometimes more often, and we will sit down and tour and visit with GMs of local facilities to build a relationship. And so we value that. We value that they will share information with us about students. I know there's certain legal things that we cannot share, um, but when you can, um, it's very helpful. I also think integrity when it comes to marketing and, and whatnot, um, as Mike pointed out, we are in two master leases right now. And almost every other property in the area has contacted me and said, could we be a master lease? Or can we be on your website? And, and the answer is no, but mostly because I don't need it. But continuing to build a good relationship, if I ever do, those will then be uh, properties that I might call. So I think uh, information sharing, um, integrity, honesty, um, understanding that our students are very important to us, and so um, we want you to take great care of them as well. Yeah, I'm never going to, if, if I got an email from the a property manager or leasing manager from one of our off-campus properties, I'm never going to turn down information about a student, even if it's the, here's what I know, I don't know what to do now. But I think there's something that you might be able to do on campus. I'm never going to say, well, they don't live with us, they live with you, so figure it out. That is never going to be, and I can speak for the really majority of on-campus housing professionals, we're never going to shy away. And part of that is because, to Craig's point from earlier, the students and their families don't care that they're off-campus. They, they're going to be the student of the institution. And so there's an expectation there that we're going to be helpful. So by all means, share information. Wes joked with me when I started chatting with him a few months ago that the uh, we love a cookie platter and a fruit basket, but that's not what's really going to build the relationship. Um, so, you know, my, my staff loves free food in my central office, but um, if you're really looking to build a relationship, it's what Craig was talking about of inviting us to you to see the space, to talk, to information share, and, and provide that real connection. Again, I'll take a free coffee. Um, <laughs> It's pumpkin spice latte season, so I'll take one of those. Um, 
and I will, I will add, I think, and because th- this is, uh, it's a struggle that I'm having right now at my campus, I will beat the dead horse of integrity because I have a property that's adjacent to my campus that is not in that space right now. And so um, part of it is because they've gone through an ownership change because they're having trouble filling it because it really shouldn't have necessarily been built in the market. But neither, be that as it may, they're pricing it so low that they, they're trying to fill the beds, but they're not doing a good job then of serving the students once they're living there. Um, and so we're then fielding the calls on the back end of, again, back to this, the student and the family is like, well, they're a student at Buffalo State College. And I tell them, yes, I can see where your student is living, but that's <laughs> not actually me. And so it puts us in a rough spot on campus when, when that's not happening in the off-campus market because they're still our student at the end of the day. And if they leave because of their off-campus living experience, it's, it's hurting us as well. Um, I have to make one. I don't think I'd be allowed to continue to be up here if I can't make one shameless plug. So coming to a podcast near you with Student Housing Insight is me and a colleague who now works at WashU in St. Louis, um, where we'll be talking about mental health and college mental health. And so um, how to help students that might be living in your properties. So I'd say in the next month-ish, um, you'll see a podcast related to mental health and some of the challenges, because it's, it's happening on campus. We just have often a, an easier way of referring students because they're right there, and the, the health center and the counseling center is literally right there too. Um, so if you have thoughts or questions or want to know more, that's, that's coming. Awesome. Mike? Yeah, one thing I was just going to throw in for the end here is there are not too many people in your local cities where, where you're trying to get the students to live in your places that know more about the students that are looking for housing than people like the directors of housing and the assistant directors of residence life and those kind of folks. Um, you know, so get them a pumpkin spice latte and say, you know, I'm looking to house, you know, whether it's the second year, third year, it depends on what the school is and if they've got live-in requirements for whatever years. But talk to those folks. Make sure that they understand that you're not trying to poach the students that are part of their core mission. So if their core mission is housing first-year students, make sure you make it clear that you want to make sure you're not housing first-year students, or at least not traditionally age first-year students. Um, and get a good understanding of what their mission and what their goals are. And, you know, and do simple things like, you know, ask, like, what do you, what do you hear the most from your students or from students in general about their experiences off campus? Because we want to be, be the good place, um, the place that doesn't make you cringe when you see us at the university fair. Um, because, you know, when you work on campus, it, there are a lot of times reputations start going around the campus. And so faculty and staff, if students ask them what are good places to live, They'll mention ones. Usually the director of housing isn't going to specifically mention one because they'll get beef about from all of the other places. But people will mention that and that reputation carries over. But if you're thinking about you know, ways to reach the students, talk to folks like these folks on, on the campus that you're working with and hear the kinds of things that they have to say. You know, it's, and also simple things about asking permission rather than begging for forgiveness when it's marketing time. So that you don't become the one that's like, oh, who was sticking stuff under everybody's door last night when they snuck in? Because your poster will go on the wall and darts will be thrown at it. (laughs) And Mike, you've got a workshop here at the conference later kind of related to this? Yes, a lot of stuff about campus connections um, with purpose-built student housing. The most exciting 20 minutes of your life. Find it. Awesome. All right. So um, I'm going to, we have a couple minutes for questions. Wes, where's Wes? Or are we out of time? Yeah, it looks like a really good 
Um, and one other thing in regards to uh, Dr. B's podcast that's coming up, there's also going to be Grace Hill. He's working with Grace Hill to also do a training course as well, which will be sometime in October. So make sure that this is one of the main reasons we want you guys plugged into the SHI community because that's where we'll be, we will be making those announcements. So if really quick, I just want to scan the audience really quick and see if you guys have any questions. Yes. So I come from the College Station Market, and it has a million purpose-built student housing facilities. So one of the things that I run into as a property manager is everybody's kind of doing the same thing. They're bringing the pumpkin spice latte. <laughs> they're bringing the cookie basket and the fruit baskets and the TIFF treats and all of that. And that is the standard. That's what everybody does. And it's to the point now, because there's so many of them, they're basically turning us away when we go into the office and say, and they say, you know, we can't accept that, but you can leave it in the lobby. Because it's become more of almost a bribe, you know. So how do I get into to see the right person and to have that real conversation? What? Because I want to separate myself from the noise. So how can I go about getting the information to get to the correct person? It is a great question. Um, have you tried really nice apparel? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> T-shirts. <laughs> like a really nice fleece? No, I, um, we, I think for me, it's, we, we now are in an information data age. If you can bring me some data about your students, um, if you can bring me information, um, that's as desirable a commodity as, I mean, we all love a good latte, but... Um, like, what kind of data are you looking um, for? Tell me, um, are there certain majors that are living with you, certain demographics, um, obviously things that you can, you know, aggregate and, and tell me about, because I know personal identifiable, you know, you might not be able to share, but um, what kind of retention are you seeing? Have you looked at your retention? Who comes back? Uh, what are the characteristics of those students? Who are the students that you know are leaving? Have you noticed anything about why they're leaving? Are they leaving all together? Or are they just leaving your property? Um, help, help share data. Give me information. Um, that's valuable to us. Uh, even at A&M, you know, they want to retain more students. So if, if you get information about students, um, you know, that's, I've often felt that my role on campus when it comes to student housing, we have, we have a two-year requirement. And I have learned that for me, I have to be an expert on what students are thinking, doing, talking about before anyone else knows I want to know. So if you're hearing things like that, Housing people, we pride ourselves on being the foremost experts on our students on our campus. And, value, and, and that kind of information is a very, very valuable commodity to a person in my role, especially when I sit down with cabinet members and, and people who are making decisions. Um, so that's, for me, that's a very valuable thing. So I guess what we're saying here, because you said invite to the properties so they could see their space, so maybe everybody can use this if they're having the same difficulties I am, invite them to yeah. present mm -hmm. the information so they, you're knocking two birds out with one stone. 
And I agree. We have, I mean, I'll speak for Buffalo State. We have a retention and then a graduation rate issue. And so um, I know my two properties nearest to my campus, they're signing a 12-month lease. They can't get out of it. And so if they're walking away from that lease, that would be super useful for me to know because chances are it means that they're leaving the college. And so if you're starting to hear those things, and that would be any they're probably all signing a 12-month lease that they can't break um, and so without a significant penalty. And so if they're going to walk away from that in College Station, they're probably walking away from College Station. And so that's something that the institution is going to want to know as well. Um, I really liked Mike's point, and I don't know why I hadn't thought about this before, of not only inviting us over to see the space, but potentially inviting us over to do a thing in the space. So if you know that you're housing a lot of juniors and seniors and you have a space to do a, quote, program, an event, a something, and that would be, that's another way to get, and it might be a me as the director, assistant dean, my staff, we're fading in and out here, um, but to get representatives of the institution into the space to continue to do those educational pieces or informational pieces for students because we're targeting them where they're living, which is what we're trying to do when they're living on campus, but we know that they're not going to be living on campus the whole time necessarily. Um, I don't want to steal my own thunder from this afternoon, um, but there is no law that says an off-campus property can't have a partnership with the campus to do a living learning community and have intentional connections with an academic thing. Now, it would be different than a first-year community, but there are lots of places that, that keep that living learning community going into the second, third, and fourth year, and sometimes it's more they're not really living together, but if you have a space and you know you're already housing, say, a lot of engineers or whatever, and you've got a space that can be set up as the peer mentor center for upper year engineering, because sometimes there, one thing that campuses often lack is space for, to bring students together and to do things on an informal basis, because every time they expand, they gotta turn a whole bunch of things into faculty offices, so they lose the common spaces. Invite them over, it's like, and I'm not making that one up out of whole cloth. That's one of the things that water, some of the properties in Waterloo have done. Like one of them has um, off-campus mentorship spaces for upper years in the business school. There's another one that has set it up for the engineering because um, those are two of the things that Waterloo is, is really well known for. And another one has a thing do, going on with uh, Laurier University and one of their big programs. And so if you've got that space, sometimes that is a heck of a lot more, better use than having a theater because you can always rearrange the chairs and still watch a movie. Um, but to have it set up to, with that direct connection, and then you know every engineering prof is gonna talk about that building. And so if, if you're connected with a significant program at your school, you've already, you've basically hired a whole bunch of marketers for your program. Huge, great question. Do we have anybody else that has any other questions? Somebody else is talking. All right. <laughs> Yeah, sorry, <laughs> kind of surprised you. So my question is: This is sort of outside the bridges and fences concept, but from university officials, how is the ESA, the emotional support animal, impacting you? And what are the criteria that you use for someone to be able to have? to qualify to have an ESA. That's the perfect segue into our next presentation. Yeah, okay. 
If anyone wants to join me, I am the person who intends to become the housing profession poster child for ending ESAs. Um, I, I just need a few followers who are willing to be sued, and we are going to go after it. Because um, I'm convinced we will win in court, but we have to be sued. Um, we have a very, very, very strict policy. I've actually surveyed Big 12 schools at Texas Tech. They're in hundreds of, uh, of ESAs. We have about 10. Um, Baylor is probably next lowest. They might have 20 or 30. But we, we have very, very high strict standards. It isn't a doctor's note or some nonsense. They have to sit down. There's a criteria. Because there's very different, huge difference between an emotional support animal, which emerged from the Fair Housing uh, Act, and um, service animal, which is an ADA, um, very different parts of the government and enforcement. And in fact, at uh, Kuhawai does a thing called State of the Profession every year in January. Talked to a lobbyist in Washington. He'd never heard of ESAs. He said, this is not anybody's radar. He goes, you're doing what? And I said, it came out of fair housing. He's like, why are you doing that? He was blown away. Um, unfortunately, he lobbies for public, large public institutions, so he couldn't take up the cause for me. But he assured, he believes, he's like, y'all need to challenge that. So I'm ready to do it if anyone wants to join, and I will drop the mic on that. I love it. Do we have any more questions? You guys are itching. You have to. Oh, one more. Last one. All right. My question is to piggy off, piggyback off of hers. But when, let's say, a community had a bad, bad reputation, and you know, in the past, and they've done lots of rebranding, lots of uh, you know uh, changes, um, how would you suggest, or how would you advise a community and a community manager and a team on site to approach you in that manner? I mean, other than provide data and, and, and word of mouth, like how would you suggest? for us to approach you after you've had that bad experience, because ultimately your experience is uh, important. So I think this is the place, for, not for the fruit basket so, or the latte, this is the place for the meeting, though. So I'll, I'll even speak from my experience. So coming to Buffalo State, I'm that person on campus. Um, so I'm taking over for somebody who was in the role for 20 plus years and there were some issues towards the end. And so I'm doing that for myself on campus with my on-campus colleagues of having to go out and, and sort of tell my spiel of what we're doing now that's different. Um, and so that is actually, and then you gotta, then I gotta prove it, right? And I prove it data, yes, but prove it like show up. Um, yeah, actually do the things that I'm out there in the world telling them. So, right, if you're going to come in and sit down with me and say, hey, I'm the new person, we're, we're, we've completely rebranded, we've done all of these things, then, you know, six months later, that might be the point where you've got some data and you're showing, you know, I think about, there was a, I used to work in Florida and there was a, a property right near campus that was known as, as the party place. Um, our on-campus police department hated it. Um, there were lots of, there was lots of drug use, et cetera. And so if, if you're taking over that place um, to remarket, good luck. Um, but, <laughs> um, you'd be coming back in six months and saying, now I've got data, right? Here are, we've done X, Y, and Z thing. Um, and last year at this time we had 100 incidents and this year we had 10. 
Right. So you're coming back around to continue to show me because as an off-campus provider, you're not in my face as much as me being on campus and working with on-campus people. So that's, that's my thought. Okay, great. Yet. All right. I think we are officially out of time. Yes, ma'am. All right. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you, panel. Well, there we have it. And, and Dr. B, once again, I just appreciate you being on that particular panel and, and helping coordinate a lot of that as well. Uh, it was just some incredible insight that uh, that you guys were able to, to pass on to that audience. And I'm glad our our bigger podcast audience has been able to, uh, uh, to take some things away from it as well. Speaking of takeaways, I want to just kind of wrap some things up in case, in case anybody missed anything and all of that. But I think one of the biggest things, you know, that, that I took away from it after listening to it again is, you know, it's never too early to build bridges uh, and, and don't wait for, you know, kind of the right circumstances or the right moment for the right introduction, just step out and, and, and go meet somebody um, because you can't, you can't wait around. And, and, you know, we talked about this on the last podcast as it related to the counseling services on campus. Uh, you, you just, you just can't sit around and, and wait on that. Anything to expand on, on that point or any other points? No, I think you're totally right, Wes. And, and we got some questions from the audience related to that as well, that holding out and waiting for the emergency is not the time to figure out who your counterpart is across the street or, or down the street, that we'd be more than willing to talk and collaborate. I know when we were talking with Dr. Dewar, we talked about you know doing a shared training. Um, if we, we train our resident assistants at least once a year. And if you've got community ambassadors or community assistants, there could be some opportunities there where you're you're at a low risk, high reward way to engage with your partners on campus without, you know, without needing to bring in cookies or something to build the relationship. By the way, I love how you um, kind of called me out that that's like my pet peeve of people taking <laughs> It, but it is, I, you know, I have this conversation with general managers all the time. And, you know, when I start, you know, if it's a consulting job or something, and uh, you know, I go in and start talking with, with the leasing staff about, well, what have you done to, you know, start a relationship? And, well, we've taken cookies over. And it's just like, as soon as they say it, I'm like, okay, <laughs> let's, let's, let's reel it back. Right. Let's talk about you know, the, the relationship of how everybody needs to win (laughs) and what are you, you know, uh, what value are you actually doing by, by taking, you know, cookies or a fruit basket or whatever? Um, yeah, it's a nice gesture. I get all that, but being able to sit down and have a conversation and talk about what that person, what that administrator is, is dealing with, what kind of issues that they've got, as it relates to their job and how possibly, uh, you know, we may be able to, when I say we, I mean, from the off-campus perspective, maybe there's something that we can do to, 
you know, to, to help ease some of their burdens. And if not that, at least we've got a really good understanding of, of the type of things that they deal with and what their time constraints are and what they're focused on. So I just really encourage you to, to, yeah, sure. Take cookies, but don't just drop them off and leave cards and flyers. Exactly. Have a conversation with, with these administrators. I'd, I'd much rather take the cookies in conjunction with a meeting that we've scheduled so that we can actually talk as compared to if you swing by the office with them, there's no way to know if I'm even going to be there. And even if I am, if we have time to really talk and learn and, and start to build a relationship. Exactly. I mean, I can tell you right now, uh, you know, and in, in my time as a C-suite officer, you know, when, when you get to, and this happens at the site level too with your vendors, but I, you know, I would get inundated with, you know, the, the food baskets and, and all that kind of stuff over, over the, the holidays and all those gestures are great. I could not tell you a single person who sent me that stuff and, or what specifically they sent to me. But I can tell you about one person, I'm not going to bring their name up right now, but always made a commitment to come and see me right around the holidays, right around the end of the year, took me out to, you know, for a lunch and just caught up. And, and, and the, you know, there were a lot of things that anxieties that I had about how we were using their system and you know, how it could be better. They took way more away from that and also gave more to, to us as a result of, of that than they ever did. <laughs> People that, you know, were just trying to be on my radar by, you know, sending me cookies and cheeses and all that jazz. So exactly. anyway, yeah, I think the other thing that uh, just bears repeating, know the campus policies and respect them. And you'd actually brought that up of knowing the campus policies. <laughs> I said, Phil, they all know the campus policies. <laughs> they, just don't, they don't respect them. And I don't want to say they don't respect it. They just, they try to get away with it. And, you know, off campus folks, I'm, listen, I get it. I, I know you're under pressure, but, you know, going through and, and chalking the wall of the student center or <laughs> throwing flyers down the, the hallway of a dorm, <laughs> that stuff doesn't, I don't know, maybe, maybe it works. Maybe it gets you, you know, what you want from a short term basis, but it's not going to be the thing that's going to make, you know, housing services call you up and say, Hey, we just had a flood and we've got to do a master lease on for 700 students for next semester. <laughs> How can you help us out? You know, you're not going to get that phone call if you're the one doing that. So, yeah, anyway, I think that's um, anything else with, <laughs> as, as it relates to, to campus policies and overstepping bounds from, from that standpoint. I agree. It, I, I think it also, and one of the attendees at the summit asked about this, of how to, that she was new at her property and she knows that the relationship that has existed with the campus near her wasn't great. And so how does she go about turning that around? And I talked a little bit about, you know, going in, having a meeting, talking about what you're going to do and then doing it and then going back and showing that you're doing it. And so I think about this, I think about that with even some of my properties that are near my campus now where I have some feelings about them because they've 
chalked the wall of the student union or, you know, slid flyers under the door in a residence hall that they weren't even supposed to be in unescorted. Um, but that wouldn't, if somebody walked into my office and set up a meeting and wanted to talk about ways that we could work together better, the previous situations wouldn't completely turn me off, but it might make me momentarily skeptical. Um, and so there's, yeah. there's ways to work through that. But like you said, it, it's pretty likely that they know what the campus policies are. They're just choosing to ask for forgiveness rather than ask for permission. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, if it's not, if you don't know what the policies are, just go and look at your own lease agreement of what the rules and regs are for your own property. And there's a good chance that you can't do those same things on campus. Correct. (laughs) So anyway, well, hey, just to completely go in in another direction, I mentioned earlier at the beginning, it's football season. And Dr. B, you've got an interesting predicament. <laughs> if if things complete, you know, if, it, if it continues to work out this way, and I guess maybe the, no, I, I don't even know if the championship games would, uh, or the conference championship games would would do this, but you are an alum of both Ohio, Ohio State, which is currently number one. And, no, number and two. Then, Number two. It's okay. I'd rather us be number two. That's right. I'm sorry. That's right. LSU did beat Alabama. Yeah. Um, yeah. How could I forget that? So that dropped you guys to, to two. So, so you've it's got fine. that. And then on number four, you've got your, the other alma mater, which is University of Georgia. If this plays out <laughs> and they're either in one of the champions or one of the, the playoff games, or Lord forbid, they're actually playing for, <laughs> for the for the national championship. What do you do? Well, I get a T-shirt either way. Um, <laughs> this is true. But um, I I I go with the. I'm happy with either results, but. Um, Ohio State was my master's institution and UGA was my PhD institution. And so my first love is OSU. And so I, I, I wear the scarlet and gray versus the red and black. So hopefully that's maybe making some of the listeners happy and some of the listeners angry, depending on where they are. <laughs> either way, I guess you're a winner. But <laughs> like I said, I get a t-shirt out of it either way. Um, somebody's going to, you know, I'm wearing a t-shirt that says national champion for one or the other. Um, it'd be a good problem to have if it happens. I'd just be, ha- I mean, I know this, you're you're down in the southeast, but I'd be happy it, for it to not be Alabama or Clemson um, at this point. Well, I got to tell you, with it, I mean the way uh, I saw the Alabama LSU game and the way they were playing, if that keeps up, and especially with the championship game being in New Orleans this year, I know they're I know they're hungry for it. So either way, if if Georgia or Ohio State are still in it in a few weeks, it's going to be interesting to to see how they fare against them. So, I know. Um, well, and I guess, I guess Georgia and LSU would probably end up meeting in the SEC championship. So yeah, a couple of weeks you know. to go. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hey man, I appreciate it so much. I love all the, the value that you're bringing to our listeners and the perspective from being an on-campus administrator. And, and again, thanks for, for your time and helping put this panel together and looking forward to, uh, to more of these at future summits. So, um, so thanks again. No problem. Always a great time. 
All right. Take care. You too.